Snowman Podcast. Welcome back to the Snowman Podcast. Tis I, the Snowman, bringing yet another fine story for you folks to enjoy. As I mentioned in the intro episode, sometimes we'll be jumping across the pond, and so we are for today's show. Focusing mainly on the Emerald Isle, known commonly as Ireland. The land of shamrocks, sheep and Guinness beer. Tis also known for its host of Irish folk singers. Some of the finest and most respected folk bands come from Ireland. Groups such as the Dubliners, the Clancy Brothers and the Irish Rovers entertain audiences around the world for decades. If you've never given them a listen, I would highly recommend you doing so, for no matter your heritage, you'll be an honorary Irishman or a woman when you do so. But that's not what we'll be focusing on today, no. We'll be talking about Ireland's patron saint, St. Patrick. Celebrated throughout the world on his feast day of March 17th, which ironically is today. Don't forget to wear green. You'll hear how as a young man St. Patrick was sold into slavery, and to his dying day, never regained his freedom. Don't worry, this story is a good one. So grab yourself a pint of Guinness, cosy up by a warm fire, and listen to the story of St. Patrick. Or if you want to drink something else and you want to sit outside on a nice, cool afternoon, I don't know. But here we go. Before I get too much into the story, I'd like to cite the resources I'll be using today. They are from Adventures and Odyssey's two-part episode, Patrick, A Heart of Fire. This is a great dramatization of the story of Patrick. If you've never listened to Adventures in Odyssey, uh, they are phenomenal. And the story of Patrick is a great one to start off with. You can find them at adventuresinodyssey.com and look for how you can get a copy of Patrick, A Heart of Fire from there. Uh, Also be using VeggieTales Story of St. Patrick. If you have young kids, this version is perfect for you. It's funny, takes on the heavy subjects that Patrick dealt with in real life, and made it safe and understandable for kids. Wikipedia.com. Come on, folks. Don't knock it. I know a lot of people do. I don't use it for the main emphasis of my stories, but I do use it for names, dates of birth, dates of death, that type of stuff. So it is a source, so I will use it. History.com forward slash St. Patrick. This is a great resource. They have articles within articles, so definitely check out history.com. They're not always perfect, but it is a great resource. And boyingvalleytours.com forward slash hillopslain. You will learn later on why I use that particular source later on in the episode. And finally, I also used britannica.com for information about the vernal equinox, which likewise you will hear about at the end of the story. To start off, I'd like to ask you a question. What do you know about St. Patrick? While a lot of his life is well known by historians and those who love learning about Ireland, a lot of other people don't know anything about him, save the fact that they have to wear green on March 17th and something about a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. Totally, totally does not have anything to do with St. Patrick. That is just a bunch of malarkey, so to speak. Well, folks, today we're going to dive into the history of St. Patrick and find out how a ruffian as bad as he was became one of Christ's champion ministers. Now, to begin. St. Patrick, known during his early years as Maywen Sukkot, while known as the patron saint of Ireland, was actually English by birth. It is unclear as to where he was born and raised, but it is fair to assume that he was born on the west coast of England, 
probably in modern-day Wales. It is also unclear as to the date of his birth, but it is known it was during the latter age of the Roman Empire, possibly between 381 and 389 AD. Patrick's father was Calpurnius, who was a deacon in the church, and his grandfather was a priest. It is safe to assume that his mother was also devoutly religious. So when you think about this time in the Roman Empire, Christianity had already been the official religion for over 65 years. The empire, which had persecuted, murdered, and mistreated all Christians for over 250 years, had now adopted it as the official religion of their empire. God truly works in mysterious ways, doesn't he? Now, with his grandfather being a priest, he probably had a big say in Maywin's early education. Now, Maywin was a rowdy troublemaker as a kid. He did not share his family's faith. He would rather spend his time riding horses, goofing off, and getting into all kinds of mischief. But that all changed one day when Irish pirates raided his village and took him hostage back to Ireland, where he was sold as a slave. Maywin was severely discouraged. I mean, who wouldn't be? But it was then, during his darkest hour, he found peace. Yes, he turned his life fully over to God, even praying up to 100 times a day. Kind of puts the rest of us to shame a little bit, don't it? Now, one of the most remarkable things about him doing so was he didn't have a copy of the scriptures with him. I mean... First, he was a slave. Second, he wasn't allowed to bring anything with him when he was captured. And third, why would he have? Remember, his life was very different back home. So I fully believe God sustained him and taught him everything he needed to know during the years he spent as a slave. As Maywin continued in his devotion to God, his master took note of his work and saw that he worked hard and didn't try to run away whenever he had the chance. His master decided to take a gamble on him and gave Maywin the responsibility of caring for his sheep, which meant going out into the hills and let them graze without supervision on him. It was a risky move for the master to do, but Maywin was faithful and kept the sheep healthy, fat, and safe. Maywin was a slave for six long years, and he was probably a shepherd for close to five of them. Now that shows dedication and obedience. He could have run away at any time during those days of solitude, but he felt God was keeping him there for a reason. And throughout the time, he not only learned the language, he also learned the terrain. He met the other inhabitants of the towns. Little did he know then how much knowledge that would aid him later in life. Now, before we go any further, one thing you need to know is that during this time era, Ireland was not a Christian country. It was the land of the Druids, who were priests and magicians of dark magic. They were an evil bunch, folks. Just like the priests of Baal and Asher in the times of the kings of Israel and the priests of the Viking gods, they controlled the minds of the kings and queens of ancient Ireland with a mighty grip. And it would take a miracle for that country to become free from darkness. But uh, God knew that, and he had a plan for it. Now returning to Maywin. One day, he had a vision, or dream, of a ship. This ship would take him from Ireland to the next task God was calling him to. There was just one problem with that vision. Uh, Maywin was landlocked. 
He was smack dab in the middle of Ireland, and there was no way he was going to get to the sea and sail on that boat without either being set free or running away from his master and having the constant fear of being captured and punished for running away. But if God had given him that vision, then it must be for a reason. And so one day, Maywin left. One account is thought that he possibly asked his master for his freedom, but the master refused. So when that happened, he left that same day for the coast. It would take quite a few days, but he made it to the coast and to the town that had the ship he had seen in his vision. Being a slave, it is highly doubtful that Maywin had any money to pay for his passage. So how would he be able to get on board? Why, cause providence, of course. Remember all those years he spent with animals? namely sheep? Well, it's quite probable that he was acquainted with sheepdogs as well, and part of the ship's cargo were some dogs. I like to think perhaps some Irish wolfhounds or Irish setters were in there. Either way, Patrick was able to care for the dogs and keep them from driving the crew crazy. So by volunteering his services to the captain, he was granted passage on board and sailed away from the land that had been his involuntary home for six long years. Two stories now arise as to which way he went. He either sailed straight for England and home, or the more common thought is that he sailed to Spain. No, and that's España back then, and uh, kind of still it is today. And or France. No, let's go at the time. Man, I bet you the Romans were a bit of that name changed. <laughs> Going with the continent idea. The crew arrived to find desolation everywhere. War, famine, and disease had ravaged the land, and barely anybody was around. Even if they were, they had nothing to offer the sailors. Don't ask me how the sailors thought it would be a good idea to go on a cross-country tour at this time. Uh, but they did. And they quickly became quite desperate for food. They knew Maywin was a man of prayer. So they begged him to pray to his God for food to be provided to them lest they starve. Maywin, by this time, obviously cared for them, and did so. God heard his prayer and provided some wild boar to wander close by. Well, the sailors had no problem catching the pigs, and they had a hearty meal. You could say they were eating high off the hog. Okay, okay, <laughs> I'm done. While the crew praised Maywin for providing them with the food, he insisted they gave praise to God instead thus helping them see that God was indeed real and not like their false gods of Ireland, which were made of stone and wood and couldn't hear anything. Eventually, the ship and crew got Patrick home, though it is believed it took him a couple of years to get him there. It's not like Ireland is far away, or Spain and France is far away, but uh, whatever. Back then, uh, there was no such thing as GPS. Anyway... It's safe to assume that Maywin is around 24 to 25 at this time, maybe a little bit older, because remember, he was only 16 when he was captured. His parents were still alive, and when he re-entered his old village, they welcomed him home with tears of happiness in their eyes. Even more so when they learned he had dedicated himself to God. He was finally able to study the scriptures he had longed for for such a long time and he quickly became a bishop slash priest slash deacon of the church, just like his father was. When that happened, he was given a new name, Patrick, which is how we'll be referring to him from now on. Now, as Patrick continued to grow in his faith and learning, he had another vivid dream. He saw in this vision letters, 
pleas from the Irish people as if in one voice saying, We beg of the youth to come and walk again among us in Ireland once more. We return. Patrick knew of how the Irish were enslaved in their minds and souls by the Druids and their dark magic. So while I'm sure he was conflicted at first, I believe he knew right away that going back to Ireland was indeed God's calling on his life. He had been prepared for it for six years. When he told his parents about the vision, they knew he was to leave, for they were devout Christians and knew God would use Patrick mightily there. Despite him only returning back to them a few years prior, they were willing to let him go. I do not believe there is any way to confirm this, but it is likely that Patrick sailed back to Ireland with a handful of other godly men who would assist him in spreading the gospel across the Emerald Isle. When they arrived back in Ireland, they were met with skepticism. The people didn't know that what their faith was, but one bunch was definitely not happy to see them. The Druids. They saw these Christians as a threat to their power, which in fact they were. And they would try everything they could to stop them. From attempted murder, to trying to turn the people away from listening to them, to throwing them into prison. But nothing could stop the growing light of freedom of Christ that Patrick preached. He wandered over the entire countryside, proclaiming the gospel and sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. It is said to be a legend, but I believe it to be true that Patrick, to help get his message across, used a shamrock. To help the Irish see and understand the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. His message of hope and freedom through Christ led the Irish to turn away from the false gods of the Druids in droves. Legend also says that the reason why there are no snakes in Ireland is because Patrick drove them out. Well, it is highly likely that snakes were never in Ireland to begin with. The weather is far too cold there. On the warmest day, it barely gets to 70 degrees. Sounds like my kind of weather. Snakes love the heat, as they're reptiles and thus cold-blooded. The weather does not support that legend. Unless it wasn't referring to the reptiles at all. Maybe, and this is just my own speculation, but maybe... The snakes being referenced to in that legend are the druids. I mean, makes sense to me. What do you think? Now, here's a, here's a real good story. Uh, another famous legend about Patrick was the fire on Slain Hill. To understand the whole story, you need to know that the king during the majority of Patrick's ministry in Ireland was Lair MacNeil and he was the High King of Ireland. There are various accounts of his interactions with Patrick. Some portray him as a villain trying to kill the beloved saint, while others portray him as a man curious about Patrick's God and willing to allow Patrick access all over the kingdom. There is no way of knowing for certain, but I believe he was a curious sort. And while he still followed the ways of the Druids, he acknowledged the existence of the one true God, which is always the first step. So, back to the story of Slain Hill. Every year, the Irish celebrated the arrival of the vernal equinox, spring, with a massive feast. Lots of eating, drinking, music and dance. Just take a listen to what it might have sounded like.
I think to be able to hear that type of music in a stone castle would have been a phenomenal experience. Now, at one point during the feast, the king was to light a massive bonfire on Terra Hill, which was one of the highest hills in Ireland, to thank the gods for seeing them through another winter. Not one hilltop fire in all the land could be lit till the light on Terra was ablaze. Patrick knew that this was one of the most popular events that the Druids presided over, and he knew he had to do something about it, to prove that God was greater than their false gods once and for all. Well, here we see how God had a great sense of irony. You see, that year, the equinox happened to fall on the same day as Easter. You sense the irony? Well, anyway, the king and his court were celebrating, and then a guard who was standing watch, happened to see the fire ablaze on Slain Hill while the fire on Terra was still dark. Well, he freaked out. He burst into the hall and hurried over to the king and told him what he had seen. Oh boy, the king was furious. This time, Patrick had gone too far because they all knew it was Patrick. The king ordered Patrick to his hall to answer for his crimes. It is also possible that the king went to Slain Hill, but it's kind of hard to say, so we'll just go with the former. When Patrick entered the large room, he walked with his head held high, unafraid and undaunted by the stares and glares of the nobles and their wives and children. When he arrived before the king, he bowed in respect and looked into the faces of King Neil and his wife. Likely, he also stared into the face of the chief druid, who glared the fiercest out of all the people assembled there. Patrick was very calm and waited for the king to speak. The king asked Patrick why he had defied his order of lighting his fire before the hill on Terra. Patrick replied that he answered to God alone and that the ceremony of honoring the false gods of the Druids was wrong. He was celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. King Neil was astounded. No one had ever shown such courage before. The chief druid knew he only had one option to end the attacks on his faith, and that was to assassinate Patrick by poisoning his wine, which he offered to Patrick as a way to make peace. Patrick accepted the goblet, but did not drink. For the Holy Spirit warned him of the poison, and he called out the druid for attempting to poison him and told him that God had warned him of the attempt. Well, that instance was the straw that broke the camel's back. The king realized that Patrick's God was indeed the one true God, and the ways of the Druids were dark and deceitful and murderous. He then ordered the Druids away from his court. Patrick knew then that the king's heart was indeed turning, and before long, he too accepted Christ and was baptized along with his queen. There are other accounts about Patrick but these are some of the most popular and fascinating. After the fire event on Slain Hill, Patrick continued his life's work of spreading the light of Christ for many years to come. After almost 30 years of spreading the gospel throughout the land, Patrick died on March 17, 461 AD at around 73 to 76 years old. An obedient life well lived. At the time of his death, the Catholic Church was not canonizing any devout believers. That happened several hundred years later. But when they read and saw all the good stuff Patrick did on the Emerald Isle, they decided to declare him a saint and his feast day on March 17th 
and thus the reason why we celebrate St. Patrick's Day. Now, I want to refocus on the emphasis of my podcast of Why America is Great. I don't believe we could celebrate being a nation if it weren't for some hardworking, stubborn Irishman who helped lead the charge. In fact, did you know that nine of the signers of the Declaration of Independence were either Irish by birth or of Irish descent? And they were four sons of Ireland who signed the Constitution. During the Civil War, both Union and Confederate armies had Irish brigades who fought in major campaigns throughout the war, all proving their prowess and earning high military honors. When the Transcontinental Railroad was being built, the track west was laid down by a lot of Irish immigrants. When the Brooklyn Bridge and the skyscrapers of New York and Boston, Baltimore and Philadelphia were being built, Americans, many of whom were sons of Irish immigrants, helped construct them all. Even my own family, I am proud to say, on both sides are rich in Irish heritage. With names in the family such as Murphy and Gordy, it don't take a rocket scientist to know your roots are from Ireland. (laughs) But I'm more proud that they came to the United States where they could experience true freedom, work hard, and make an honest living. Sometimes it wasn't easy. Sometimes they had to fight off bullies just like any other people. But they kept working hard, and lo and behold, they are now celebrated every year with the celebrations of St. Patrick's Day. America is a land of immigrants, where cultures from all over the world are celebrated and appreciated. All you got to do is spend some time with people and have some conversations, and soon enough, you're bound to come to a mutual understanding. Uh, Unless you don't. And then you're free to go your separate ways. Now, in today's culture, the way we as Americans celebrate St. Patrick's Day is nothing like how it probably should be celebrated. But at the same time, the way the Catholic Church celebrates it goes against a lot of other people's views on how it should be done. But that's the beauty of our land. You see, we can celebrate any way we choose to, to each their own. As long as they wear green, because that is the most important rule. I don't know why, but it is. The city of Chicago even dyes the water green to commemorate St. Patrick's Day. And as a matter of fact, they just did a couple of days ago. um, They dyed the Chicago River bright green. And it's one of the few good things about Chicago these days. Um, Boston and New York City always have massive parades that draw thousands every year to celebrate the event. Thousands of other towns around the country do the same. It's a fun time had by all. If you like crowds, that is. For those who don't, it's a great day to have a time with friends, share a meal, listen to Irish music, and try your best at doing an Irish accent. For some, it's better. Uh, For some, it's worse. For some, they may celebrate with a pint of Guinness or by going outside and smoking a pipe on a calm night with some of the other gentlemen they know. It can be celebrated in all kinds of ways, but it is always important to know the true story behind it all. And hopefully, through listening to this podcast and checking out some of the links I've referenced, you'll love celebrating it even more. So as you go about your day, turn on an Irish pub song and let the melodies of Ireland fill your soul and bring a tap to your foot and a twinkle to your eye.
And that will do it for this episode of the Snowman Podcast. Thank you very much for listening. Be sure to spread the word to your friends and family. They can always find me on iTunes and Spotify. Just type in the Snowman Podcast and look for the picture of a snowman in front of an American flag. Till we meet again, this is the Snowman, and I'll see you now, yeah? May the road rise to meet you. May the wind be always at your back. May the warm sun shine on your face and a soft rain fall on your fields. And until we meet again, may God hold you in the palm of his hand. So how can you tell if you've told a really funny Irish joke? Because people will be doubling over with laughter. Ha ha ha! No, no, no.